Good morning, everybody. Would you if, you, if you didn't bring your own Bible, in the Pew Bible on page 1011, turn to James 2. We're going to read James 2, verses 1 through 7. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? This is the Word of God. Good morning again, church. It's good to see you. It's good to be able to be together. It's good to be able to have you join us on our live stream if you were able to do that. We are in a sermon series in the book of James, the New Testament book of James. It's a short letter called, we're calling the series, Real Wisdom, Real Faith. James, the one who wrote this letter, is, a, is the brother of Jesus, we know from church history, who at first and for many years rejected Jesus. He rejected his brother, Uh, but later came to really understand and believe that he was the Son of God who came to rescue us by his death and resurrection. And and later, James would go on to pastor the church in Jerusalem, you read in the book of Acts. Uh, And now he's writing to fellow Christians, fellow Jewish Christians in particular, who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire, who are suffering for their faith. And James doesn't give us long theological explanations like Paul does. this letter, if you read it, it's punchy, it's, it's pithy, right? Short saying, it's very practical. He wants to give us real wisdom to help us actively live out our faith in Christ. In chapter 1, James covered a lot of ground. Trials, temptations, our perspective on riches and poverty, speech, how we speak, anger, putting our faith in action, being doers of the word. And now what you're going to notice as we go through chapters two through five is he's just going to circle back and address those same topics from different angles. So if you hear us talking about the same, why are you talking about words again? It's because James is talking about it again. Because we need to hear it again and again and again and again. So today's message from James 2, 1 to 7 is rejecting partiality and embracing glory. The word partiality means favoritism. Favoritism. James is addressing in chapter 2 here the need for us to treat people fairly. 
or justly. Right? We all have this internal fairness meter that is hardwired into every one of us. Even, even the youngest among us has this, where we, we have a sense of right and wrong. Now, sometimes it varies and sometimes it, it goes amok, but, but we all, even young children have this internal meter. How many times have you heard a child say, hey, that's not fair? Right? I was playing with that and, and, and she took it. Well, when were you playing with it? Three hours ago. And she, now she took it and that's not fair. Okay, well, maybe their justice is a little bit off there, but, or, or I had it first. Right? The sense of fairness. If I had it, you can't take it. You can't have it. Or that's mine. Right? There's a, you don't have to teach a kid these things, do you? They know. They, they, are, they are born with a sense of justice. A sense of right and wrong. Now again, it's skewed. Uh, and then we get older, and that doesn't go away, does it? We don't stop saying, hey, that's mine. Or that's not fair. Actually, that justice... That sense of justice and fairness gets stronger. That's not a bad thing. Treating people unfairly, unjustly is painful for them. It's bad for humanity. But even worse than that, it's wrong. It's wrong. We know this. We know this because even from a non-Christian perspective, we have laws and policies and, and an entire judicial system and government set up to help establish and enforce rules of fairness. But we have to admit, even those are imperfect, aren't they? We live in a broken world where even laws can be unjust and where even courts can make faulty decisions. And so what James is doing is he's calling the church to be different. He's not speaking into government. He's not speaking into policy. He's speaking to Christians. He's talking to the church. And he's saying we ought to have a growing vision of God's glory and a deepening sense of our own sinfulness and a growing confidence in the power of the gospel to transform how we live with one another and how we treat one another. One of the main themes of the book of James is that faith in Jesus should change us in profound ways. It should change how we live. It's not a, a ticket to get out of jail free. It's not a ticket to get out of hell free card. Right? I got the card. Woo! All right, so, so when I go around to Monopoly, I'm good. No, we are called to live in a counterculture in a world with an increasingly what I would call an increasingly warped sense of fairness and justice. So let's let James teach us by the Holy Spirit about the dangers of partiality and how we overcome it by embracing the glory of Jesus Christ. Lesson number one, understand and beware of the sin of partiality. Chapter two, in the, you know, when James wrote this letter, he didn't have chapter headings right? He's just writing. And so chapter two comes on the heels of him just finishing telling us we ought to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And we learn from, from James 1.27 that pure religion means keeping oneself unstained from the world. That's how he put it. Meaning to be on guard against adopting the world's standards as our Christian standards. 
He's saying, be on guard against that. Be on guard against letting the world standards be adopted into our standards as Christians. And one of the world standards, one of the ways of the world, is to continually divide people and place them in categories. And so we, we say, rich or poor, black or white, athletic or non-athletic, musical or non-musical, or none, or cool or uncool. And so then we put people in these categories, and, and some of them are appropriate, right? Right? We know there are cultural differences. We know that there are socioeconomical differences. But the problem is we put people in these, in these kind of um, ruts, and now that's who they are. And we treat them by those categories. This is where Martin Luther King Jr. said, that, you know, I, I dream of a day when my kids will be judged not by what? the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. This is one of the ways in which the brokenness and sin of humanity should be self-evident. It should be self-evident. Whether you're Christian here or not, we are all walking contradictions. What do I mean? Well, we have this innate sense of justice. We want things to be fair. And then, at the same time, we make unfair judgments about people and treat them differently. We have both going on, don't we? That's the problem, and James is going to call out that contradiction. He's not going to say, throw out any kind of justice. He's going to say, listen, understand that contradiction in your heart, and then address it. Do something about it. Live as a countercultural. And he shows us that partiality, favoritism, discrimination is completely opposed to the gospel. Look at, look at verse number one. My brothers and sisters... He's talking to the family of God. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The word partiality literally means that the actual word in Greek means this, to receive the face. To receive the face. Or, or in our, here's how I would uh, define it. Partiality means to judge a person or group based on how they appear to you. We show partiality when we make judgments based on external conditions such as physical appearance or social status or cultural background or age. Make no mistake, when we judge according to appearances, according to what, what, we, what appears to us from somebody else, we have adopted the world's categories. That is not godly wisdom. The Bible repeatedly makes it clear, God never acts with partiality. He is impartial. He doesn't show favoritism. Romans 2.11 says succinctly, for God shows no partiality. In other words, he doesn't judge by appearances. Remember when God sends Samuel, the, the, the prophet Samuel, to anoint a new king of Israel? And he says, go to the house of Jesse. And Samuel goes uh, and he says, Jesse, uh, give me, show me your sons. One of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. And, Sa and, and Jesse brings out his sons and Samuel sees the older sons of Jesse and says, wow, one of these has to be it. They're tall, they're handsome, they're strong, right? They look kingly. It's got to be one of these, God. And God says, no, 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 no. And, and Samuel's like, how can that be? 
And God teaches Samuel an important lesson. He says, no, 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 no. You don't get it, You don't get it. The Lord doesn't look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. God doesn't choose based on outward appearance or external factors. He is impartial. He is just. And throughout the Bible, God calls His people to imitate that character. I, had a li- I have a list of Old Testament references where I can show you where God clearly commands His people to not show partiality. When they're making judgments, when they're making decisions, when they're, when they're gauging people, engaging people, New Testament says the same thing. It's wrong. Why? Because it betrays the very character of God, one. Two, the reason why partiality is wrong. James tells us, Show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, partiality based on external conditions is antithetical to the gospel. It is opposed to the gospel because faith in Jesus, Jesus is the very one whose mission was to break down barriers between nationalities and classes and genders. That's why Paul is able to say in Colossians, in Christ now there's no more Greek nor Jew, nor rich, nor poor, nor slave, nor free, nor male or female, right? We all belong to Christ now. We are in Christ. We are one with Christ. Partiality is literally opposed to the gospel. Notice James doesn't just give us a command though. Show no partiality. That's the command. Then he gives us an example of how this happened back then. This must, be a, this must be based on, on what was actually happening because he goes really into depth and he addresses the rich later in verse 6 about how they're treating them. And he says, let me, let me share this example to show how this is going wrong among you. He says, one guy walks into, notice the assembly, verse 2. He comes into your assembly. He's talking about what? The church. Right? He's talking about when they gather. He's talking about this right now. Okay, so listen up. Maybe even ushers, listen up. He says, one guy walks into your church and he has all the markers of wealth and status. First it says he has a gold, he's wearing a gold ring. The Greek is funny, it says he's a gold-fingered man. It's a precursor to 007. A gold-fingered man. It's kind of, it like defines him. It's a part of who he is. It's his status. And it says he's also wearing fine clothing. The, the word literally there means bright clothing. Like you can tell that's a nice suit. Right? You can tell those are good threads. He's wearing a gold ring. He's wearing nice clothes, fine clothing. All of that back then, someone back then who would have been wearing these things would have been doing so to simply show his status and his wealth. This is a class system. You always live within your class and you always demonstrate what class you're in. So there's no ambiguity when you're interacting with people where you stand. This is a man of importance. This is a man of power. And it was displayed in his attire. And how was this man treated? Verse 3. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. Notice you pay attention. In other words, this man is promptly and warmly welcomed. The ushers make sure he's well attended to, that that he knows where to go, that he knows where the bathrooms are, he knows where the the children can be dropped off. off. He he has information about the church. You, You escort him to a really good seat. 
right in front so that everyone can see him. Pastor Brady was sharing this week in staff meeting as we were talking about this passage, how he, would, he took lots of trips to Philly for field trips to this famous church called Christ Church where George Washington attended. And back then, you know, you would, you know, you'd buy a pew, which we could talk about that, but just let's just, you know, that's what they did. They would buy their pews. And so George Washington's pew was what? Front and center, right? Best seat in the house. Interestingly enough, and he shared this, I didn't know this, Betsy Ross also had a seat in Christ Church, the one who made the American flag, designed it. Hers was much further back and directly behind a large pillar, so she couldn't see the speaker. In James' scenario, a poor man also walks into the assembly. It says he's dressed in shabby clothes. It literally means filthy. Literally, there, there are holes in his shirt. It, he's dirty. He hasn't showered in days. He, you, he, he smells really bad. And what happens to him? Nobody pays attention to him. Right? They don't promptly welcome him. They don't say, oh, we're so glad you're here. What do they say? They just, they tell him two, two things. Either he's told, you stand over there. In other words, go over there. If you're going to be in here, go to way back, away from all of us. Or they say, you can sit at our feet. Sit on the floor next to my feet. This would have been a horrible insult. People wore sandals back then, right? Their feet were all dirty. So basically they're saying, you're as dirty and stinky as our feet, so you might as well sit right next to our feet. No, it's worse than that. They're saying, when you sit at someone's feet, that signifies they're subjugated under you, right? That there's dominance, meaning we're better than you, and that should be reflected in us sitting in a place of dominance. You sit down there, we will be up here. That's your place here. And of course, we read that and we're like, oh, we would never. (laughs) Thank God I'm not like them, right? Thank God we don't fall into this. And we have to ask the question, really? Really? Do we not treat people differently based upon how they appear to us? Do you not treat people differently if you saw them wearing, and, and, and Akin mentioned this months ago, a similar example, do you, would you not treat someone differently depending on where you stand if someone's wearing a, a Black Lives Matter shirt or if someone's wearing a MAGA hat? Make America great again. And, I, and I'm not talking about the policy. I don't, I don't think about I'm simply saying if you see that, are you innately thinking, I, I pegged them. I know exactly where they stand. We got to be careful. We got to understand and beware of the sin of partiality because it's poisonous. It's poisonous. Lesson number two. Not only understand it, but wisely discern the root causes of partiality. Wisely discern the root causes of partiality. Notice in verse four. After giving this illustration, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This is why 
partiality or favoritism as opposed to the Christian faith. James says you've made distinctions among yourselves. The word means you are discriminating against people based on external factors. This is exactly how the world treats people. This is how we treat people. We live in very interesting times. Again, there's is sort of we can we can affirm some things about the world and then we can kind of point out the discrepancies. We live in a world where on the one hand we are championing equality and championing justice and that's a good thing. That tr- listen to me. Listen. Are you listening? Justice is not a bad word. All right? It's in the Bible. It's a God idea. When you start hatching other labels to it, then you start getting questionable. But let's, justice is God's idea. But we live in a broken world, and so things get twisted. We don't even notice the irony. We live in a, an equality world, and then, uh, an, e- an equality culture, and then we live in a celebrity culture. And you go, wait, how does that work? We want to treat everybody fairly, and yet at the same time, we want to exalt people who are really, really gifted. In music, or, or in politics, or in athletics, or in acting, or even in preaching. And we elevate them to, to a celebrity status, and we say everyone's equal, but actually these people are cut above, and I want, to, I want to connect to them. I want to be on their side, because they're on the winning side, and if I'm associated with them, then I can be a winner too. And this happens on a, on a low-grade scale, which is, is harm, harmless, right? You wear the jersey of your team, right? Why would, why would, my, son, why would my son want a jersey of, of Lamar Jackson, who's the quarterback for the Ravens, who I also would love? All right, so I'm not blaming on him. Because you want to con- feel a connection to that person, right? You're not, I, you know, he's not Lamar Jackson, but there's a, when you wear his jersey, you feel like there's a connection there. You appreciate that person. Oh, but we don't just wear jerseys. If only it were that. It's not wrong to appreciate someone who's uniquely gifted to support them and to listen to them. Where we get into trouble is that when we want to do, we do anything in order to be like them, to follow them. And when following them discriminates against others and leads us to judge with evil thoughts. That's, what James, that's James language, not mine. Judge with evil thoughts. As Christians, we, we never have the ability, we never have the right to discriminate based on external factors, no matter what someone dresses, no matter how much money they have, no matter what color their skin, no matter where they're from. James literally said, your partiality is rooted in that you have become judges with evil thoughts. We are partial because we're judgmental. Partiality makes unfair judgments about people and leads to unjust actions. Why? Because we think we can take the role of judge. We think we can discern people's value based on external factors. And when we do that, here's what we're doing. And James really hits hard on this. He's saying, you have taken the place of God. And he, and he wants us to ask, can you, do you really think you can do that? And then he'll answer later, no. Chapter 4, verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? 
You see, partiality is sinful because it's selfish. That's what James is going to say in verse 8. He says the aim here, we're going to get to this next week, the aim of all of this is to love your neighbor as yourself and partiality as a lack of neighborly love. As one pastor put it, partiality loves us more than others. Whoever the us is, it's selfish. That's why the rich man was given partial treatment. That's why he was favored because of his wealth and power. He, they, they showed him favoritism because they believed there was something in it for them if they treated this rich man well. That if they would connect to him, if they could get in his good graces, then maybe that would give them a sense of status, a sense of value. That if I'm on this party or if I'm a part of this group, this gives my life significance. And James says, Really? He's going to tell us, you don't need to do that to get significance. So let me just ask you before we move to the next point, how might you be showing partiality today? What does it look like for you? Do you struggle to judge based on the appearance of wealth, position, age, ethnicity? Right? Some people say, I only want to hang out with people my own age. Right? I wish we had a church of, somebody say, I wish you had a church of, and you fill in the blank. And it's usually whatever your own age is. Right? I wish you had a church of all young adults. Man, we wouldn't have to deal with all this stuff. I wish we had a church of all seniors, and we have to deal with those young adults. Well, yeah, then, then you would have, you know what you would have? You would have a vacuum of just your own blind spots. And no one to lovingly point it out and show you Jesus and show you grace as you do it together. That's not better, that's worse. We need to be really careful as Christians not to be drawn to others simply because they look like us, think like us, or live like us. Who do you tend to welcome and reach out to? Maybe even here, after the service is over. Who do you tend to reach out to? People your own age? People who look like you culturally? People you've known for a while? Again, some of those things, nothing wrong with it. But, but maybe God might be using this morning's text, this message, to just lovingly nudge you out of your own sense of whatever, how small sense of partiality, to say, you know what? I want to reach out intentionally to say hello, to welcome someone, to get to know someone who doesn't look like me. If you, you might need to get down and, and talk to a young child. The child might need to speak louder so you can hear them. Right? Whatever the case may be, find someone who doesn't, who, who you normally would not reach out to. And James says this is an issue, issue that's directly correlated to how you understand how the gospel is out. He's not saying, oh, it's just a secondary issue. It's not that big a deal. He says, no, show no partiality as you live out the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He directly connects it to the gospel. And it's the gospel that will give you the power to kill this sin, which is my third point. How do we overcome partiality? How do we, how do we reject partiality? And it's this. We overcome partiality by embracing the glory of Jesus Christ. In verse 1, James does something really insightful. He connects partiality with glory. He says this. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, which is great. 
And by the way, this is only the second time and the last time he will use that title, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a big deal for him to pull this, kind of the whole title out. But then he says, the Lord of glory. The Lord of glory. The original says, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the glory. Who is the glory. This is really incredible. As a devout Jew, for most of his life, James has a strong understanding of glory. In the Old Testament, glory was the manifest presence of God. It was the, the presence of Yahweh among his people. It was, it was what they called the Shekinah glory. It was the glory of God that filled the temple and the tabernacle. It was the glory of God that when, when Ezekiel got a vision of the heavenly throne, he saw the vision of God's glory. This, this sense of his splendor, his beauty and majesty. It was the manifest presence of God. That's what glory meant. And it was represented at times as a cloud or a pillar of fire. And here's the thing about God's glory. It was both desirous and dangerous. Both desirable and dangerous. We know that because Moses said to God, show me your glory. Right? I want to see your glory. I feel like I need to, to know what your glory is all about. And, and, and yet God says, yeah, it's desirable, Moses, but you can't see my glory and live because it's also dangerous. It'll kill you. And James is saying, this Jesus of Nazareth, my brother, the one I saw grow up and have to make his bed and we took shower and baths together and we, we played together, my brother is the manifest glory of God among us, the presence of God among us. He is the fullness of God's beauty and power. What is James doing here? He's saying if you struggle to treat people or individuals or groups of people, if you struggle to treat them as equals or struggle to treat them with impartiality, it's because you don't understand glory. Jesus was the glory of God. He was the fullness of God on display. He was the ultimate wisdom and ultimate love and ultimate power and ultimate beauty. Just for a moment, let that sink in. He is greater than any single celebrity and all the celebrities combined. James wants us to be enthralled with Jesus above all else. Every other celebrity will eventually fade away, won't they? And they might be known for a generation or two, but eventually you're going to ask, who's that? Their glory will diminish. Only the glory of Jesus lasts forever. You see, in order to break the power of partiality in our hearts, in order for us to reject favoritism, we have to be so in awe with Jesus and his glory that no one else really impresses us like that. See, you can have a favorite politician, a favorite musician, a favorite athlete, but don't fall into the trap of thinking, they're the glory. My whole life, and I don't have time to tell you, my whole life has been, uh, well, that's strong. 
my whole life I have looked up to either athletes or people who are famous, and I've wanted to be like them in some ways, in that particular way. And I tell you what, every single one of them has failed me. I'm not going to start naming names, but you can probably guess every single one has failed me. The only one who gets glory, who deserves glory, is Jesus. In other words, don't be too impressed by any group or any person. You see, Jesus is the Lord of glory. He is the glorious one. He is self-sufficient in his glory. He, you know what? We, you know how glory works for us? In order for us to have glory, other people have to give it to us. In order for Lamar Jackson to be glorious, we have to think, he's the man, he's amazing, look at him work, and we give him glory, and that builds his status, and now he's glorious. Jesus is the only one. He doesn't need us to give him glory for him to be glorious. He is glory. And yet before he goes to the cross, Jesus prayed this, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. You see, for Jesus to come and, and rescue us, for him to do the work, the mission God called him to do, he had to give up glory. He had to give it up. He had to do the unthinkable. Jesus gave up his glory when he came to earth and he lived like one of us. He was born in a dirty stable. He lived in obscurity on the countryside of Israel. And then, and then at some point in his life, people saw glimpses of the glory. Right? He started healing people. He started performing miracles. He started casting out demons. He started showing that, that he's no ordinary human being. He has the ability to reverse the curse uh, in this world, and, and that's glory. And they were drawn to him, and yet they were afraid of him. It was both desirable and dangerous. And they didn't know what to do with real glory. And so what did they do? They killed him. We killed the king of glory. But Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew that in order to share his glory with us, he would have to give up his glory. You see, Jesus knew that because of the sin in our hearts, because of our partiality and, and so many other sins, we could never really fully experience the, the God's glory, the fullness of God's presence. And so what did Jesus do? He goes to a cross and he dies to cleanse us of our sin. In God's courtroom... He bears our guilty verdict and he is sentenced to death. And he takes our punishment. And then he rises from the dead, as we just sang about, victory in Jesus, proving that he is victory over not only sin, but over death itself. The resurrection of Jesus is God's way of answering Jesus' request. Lord, restore the glory that we had before. And then he rises from the dead and the Father says, you got it, son. Here's the glory. You are the resurrected king. You are the glorious one, never to die again, never to lose the glory again. All glorious, all ever and ever and ever. And now, the amazingly stunning truth is that through faith in Jesus, not by good works, not by working hard at it, by faith in Jesus, we can be forgiven. And get this, the glory of God can fill us. We get the glory. 
2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is almost unbelievable. The ultimate display of glory was when the one who had glory gave it up so that we could have it. The greatest message of the gospel is that God is impartial. You say, I, I want a God of justice. He is just. He does not discriminate. He has told us all have sinned. He, he, he cuts right to the chase. I can't even pick a favorite because you all messed up. He is impartial. He judges justly. But then he says this, and yet I'll save anybody. I will rescue any one of you. I don't care how little money you have in your pocket or how much money you have in your 401k. I don't care where you live. I don't care what your skin color looks like. I don't care where you work. I don't care how many relationships you have. I don't care what sin you have in your background. I don't care what suffering. And you go on and on and you say, but Lord, but Lord, but Lord. And he says, are you done yet? Now can I love you? Can you just come home? Can you get to where the prodigal son is like, oh, I should just turn back to my father and maybe I'll act like, and the father's like, no, no, you don't act like anything. I, I wrap you in my robe. I put my gold ring on your finger and then we throw a huge party because you're my son, you're my daughter, you've come home. You see, the first step in overcoming partiality is to let Jesus be your glory, to be impressed with him above all else. So that you won't be tempted to try and curry favor with certain individuals or tempted to reject certain people in order to feel superior to them. You won't need to do that. But the second thing we need to do in order to understand glory is not just the glory of Jesus, but the glory that he now bestows on us. Look what James says in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Verse 7, Are they not the ones, the rich, who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? We are chosen by God. He says we are now rich in faith. We are heirs to the kingdom. And, and, we, and he's called us by his honorable, his noble name. Do you see what James is doing? He's using language of glory and honor to describe us. He's saying, why would you try to get in good with those who are rich or influential in the world when you already are best friends with the greatest influencer who owns the whole world? Why see glory when you have all the glory you could ever ask for? That's what James is saying. God, God chose you to be a Christian. He literally came after you and chose you. You're special to him. How special? He shares his kingdom with you. You get to inherit it all. You're his beloved daughter, his beloved son. That's your identity now. James 1.9 says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Christian, you can boast in the greatest news ever. You don't have to curry God's favor to get saved in the first place, and you don't have to work really hard to prove to God that you deserve to stay saved. The gospel is good news that you're saved by grace, not by works. You deserve nothing, and yet God gives you everything. That's called grace. It's called grace. 
And you know what? His grace is his glory. His grace is his glory. You and I have blown it, and the Father says, here's the keys to the kingdom. That's glory. His grace is his glory. And when you believe that, how can you possibly treat people with partiality? No one is above and no one is beneath. There's a level playing field at the foot of the cross. We all need the same gospel. We all receive the same gospel. And that unites us in deep and enduring ways, ways the world cannot even fathom. You see, partiality will always divide. It's what it does. At its core, it's a dividing sin. And yet the gospel unites us. Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility and reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross. What does that mean? You mean mean to tell me the church can have people who are young and old and everything in between and we can worship and grow together in unity? Yes, that's glory. You mean that our church can have people from lots of cultural backgrounds loving one another and appreciating our differences? Yes, that's glory. You mean our church can have people with different political views and yet they don't shame each other and yet loving and listen and engage to, in order to learn and listen and grow? Yes, that's glory. You mean our church can have people who disagree about issues like masks and vaccines and flags and a thousand other things, and yet we can humbly serve together in unity to make fully devoted followers of Christ? Yes, because that's glory. By God's grace, we can overcome partiality and embrace glory, the glory of Jesus Christ shining through each of us. And here's what I just want to end with, church, this is happening you say, well, we, but we need to work. No, it's happening right now. We see it. We, we witness it. People are, are welcoming those who, who look different than them. People with families with special needs. Some who are single. Some who are married. Some with kids. People are welcoming them, inviting them out to lunch, pointing them to ministries, um, having meaningful conversations. This is Grace Baptist Church at its best. Always has been and always will be. So I'm just saying, Let's reject partiality. Embrace glory so that the gospel can be made visible for each other and for this community. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are not just the Lord of glory, you are the glory. We can't even fathom your glory. But Lord, you have shut... You've shined your light into us. The glory of Christ in us. Help us to believe that. Help us to think this week, today, about the implications that every one of us is walking around. Those who claim the name of Christ, we have the glory of Christ. What does that do? And yet everyone who, who doesn't even name the name of Christ, they are, they have, they're made in your image. They bear a glory, a kind of glory that we can honor, that we can show respect and kindness to even when we disagree, even when we struggle to understand. God, may your love May your love shown to us in your son, Jesus, 
may it change us. We know, Lord, this morning guilt will not change us. We know even the command itself cannot change us. But all we praise you this morning that the gospel has the power to change hearts even in the very moment it is being spoken. So do that work right now, Lord. Your glory on display through Grace Baptist Church is too important. It is too significant for us to keep throwing mud piles at each other. Let us be about the work of shining your glory. God, for those, maybe those who are listening, who may be watching, and they're like, I don't know what glory is. I don't, I don't have glory. I'm, I need, I want that. Lord, I pray that they, right now, that they would turn to you. That they would, that they would acknowledge with whatever level of faith they have, realizing it's not the amount of faith It's the object of the faith that counts. That they would admit their sin, their shortcoming, that they would turn to Jesus right now and trust in him as Savior and receive the glory, the glory of everlasting life, the glory of adoption into your family, the glory of come hell or high water. They are yours and yours forever. Oh, the love of God shown to us. Make it real for us, I pray, Jesus, in your great name. Amen.